Boom. Test. 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 Okay. Yep. Looks good. Well done. If you've made it this far, this is part eight of the Tokyo Jazz Joint's Five Days in June series. The journey's nearly over. We hope you enjoy it. So we finally arrived at day five and as I said previously, you would have thought in a more common sense and logical approach that day five would be a kind of a day five would be a wind down, um, just easing into the end of the trip. But no, uh, incredibly, I would say out of the five days, this was far and away the most hectic and uh, the most exciting in terms of the things, not only that we discovered, but also the way that we went about it. And I don't remember exactly, James, when we kicked off the day, uh, but I do know that we headed out in absolutely torrential rainpour and drove for a fair distance, I would say maybe 45 minutes or so, to go to one place that we had kind of discovered when we were down there. Now, unfortunately, when we got there, uh, we came through a tunnel uh, on a highway. We pulled into the right and sadly, it was closed. Uh, It looked almost, it was advertised as a a kisa, but it did look almost like... um, a sort of a dining type place as well. It was quite big, uh, just off uh, just off the roadside, like I say. And unfortunately, uh, the best that we got was a peer through the window. And uh, I think you got out of the car, did you? I wasn't really that keen because it was absolutely tipping it down. Yeah, I jumped out. I took a quick look uh, just inside. It was, it, it was, as you said, it was along a highway. Um, and, you know, th- this rainstorm, not just... Uh, a, a torrential downpour, but we were driving, we drove east from Fukuoka into the mountainous areas of back into Oitaken again. And so um, there were definitely a few precarious moments in the car where I was gripping the door handle very tightly. Um, that's not a reflection of your driving skills, just the weather. We, we left that place, James. I mean, I, I've got uh, I've got it in there just before 11 a.m., which and I know I know they say hindsight is twenty twenty vision, but it does make me wonder. Just did did we start maybe slightly too late in the day? I mean, obviously the way that we planned each day was often to do with uh, opening hours, and of course, you know, there's not many places opening at like eight or nine in the morning, like uh, you'd expect coffee shops to do. So uh, obviously, uh, we obviously had a, a slightly more leisurely start to the day, but it definitely put us on the back foot. And then uh, for some reason or other, I suppose just because we were down in that region and because it's famed for it, uh, before we got to our first place, we took a little detour, didn't we? We did. We we took a detour into the lovely valley of Beppu. Beppu, very, very famous for just dozens and dozens of hot springs. Oh, yeah. Also a very famous golf tournament, but uh, we weren't there for the golf. And, yeah, I mean, it's kind of strange, Philip, because I think, you know, as you said, we did have to um, plan the day when most, even the earliest of Jazz Kisaten would open, say, 11 or, mm. or about 12. And um, as we discussed, we were putting in some some pretty heavy days and nights, so a little bit of a sleep in was was certainly in order. Um, but I, I do remember being a little worried about, you know, although I do love stopping in onsens, that maybe we were being too ambitious with all the places we wanted to visit. 
and um, not having got into anywhere until, you know, after lunch. But uh, we stopped into the onsen. I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, it was um, it was it was quite packed in the lobby area. A lot of tourists. I remember we stood in line uh, in the back of a whole bunch of Korean tourists. Uh, there were some English speaking people scattered around and we went in and uh, in Japanese they call it rotenburo, which is a sort of an outdoor bath. It's a, it's a stone bath where you're outside. So you're sitting in the bath, the steam is rising and you're looking up into the trees. Sometimes you've got a very nice view. And I think it did one, <laughs> it really did wonders for our energy and our spirits because I came out of there feeling ready to just ready to rock on, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, uh, I've got a couple of photos there. I don't know if you remember, there's this gorgeous uh, green shrine, very unusual, but the, even the Tory gate was painted green just outside the onsen. And then uh, uh, I have also got a, a great video, which I'll be posting on social media, of you looking really, really sketchy as you're sort of staring around the gift shop. Sketchy. Uh, no, a nice, I was, uh, kabuki, kabuki face mask sort of foregrounded as I well. Was, uh, uh, I was in deep concentration because I was perplexed. Um, I, I didn't know whether I should make a purchase of this bottle of, of Bayou shampoo, which was a local product. Bayou is a horse, kind of horse hair oil shampoo. I'd heard of this, but I was a little put off by the horse angle. And, and uh, unbelievably, I'm still using that shampoo today. I order it online. The best shampoo I've ever had. Don't be apologies put off by to the any horse of our, uh, Apologies to any of our vegan listeners, but... Um you know, we're all different. Um, so after we'd uh, we'd been uh, showered, washed, uh, suitably bathed, uh, and we headed out from Beppu, and it's funny, just looking on the map, you know, we literally this day, we only took in the kind of top northeast corner of Fukuoka, and we basically did a loop uh, from Fukuoka south over to the uh, east coast of the island and then up around the top and back towards Fukuoka. Mm. Uh, and so when you look at it on a map, again, it's deceptively, uh, it, it's a deceptively small area, but it did, in fact, take us the whole day. And actually, rather than heading north from Beppu, we'd kind of found uh, a place that had popped up on, on a map and it was the, the name was written as Naima, which obviously, uh, you know, most listeners will know uh, is the name of uh, John Coltrane's first wife. And I, I think that really piqued our interest. And I would say, James, probably from all the places that we've been uh, on this journey so far, it was probably the most successful gamble that we've ever taken, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, considering that we knew nothing of the place, um, had never heard of it before, uh, hadn't really um, done much research about that side of the island because I think it was a late decision to go there. We were going to stay more towards the Fukuoka Kitakyushu part of the island for, for this last day. So it was definitely a big risk. And I mean, we completely, I mean, it was like winning the lottery pulling up to this place, man. Uh, do you remember, do you remember that sort of feeling? Like we turned the corner and saw the sign and I think we both kind of just went like, Ah, you know, yeah. because we it didn't was, know anything was, about it. I, I, I just totally, I, I, I remember, you know, it was a very industrial sort of area. Uh, again, we were in a kind of a suburban neighborhood and just turned that corner. And in front of Naima was this uh, empty car parking lot. And then obviously this huge sign on the street uh, with Coltrane's face on it. Uh, and then, of course, that very unique, almost kind of like um, square pyramid roof with a slightly sunken body of the house. And I mean, it was just, again, one of those places that like, 
it's hard to imagine living in a suburb like in Dublin and looking out your window <laughs> and seeing a building uh, or a jazz place like that yeah. and, and just very, very unusual. Well, the, what building, uh, the building was certainly very unique. Um, I found out later, I mean, it, you know, clearly it was uh, some sort of, you know, kind of storage facility uh, that the owner had uh, acquired and then turned it into basically just, you know, turned it into his cafe. Um, there were so many things about Naima that were amazing. Um, and right away, we got a big surprise when we walked in because there was uh, a lady, uh, you know, fairly youngish lady. Uh, we walked in and she immediately turned to us and, and said in perfect English, you know, hi, good morning. What are you guys doing here? And we were just like, what? What? You know, this is the that first is time literally ever. the first time that's ever happened. Um, it turned out her name was Michael. Um, she is a drummer and she lives in the United States. Her husband, her Japanese husband, I think he's some sort of a university professor in New Jersey. Uh, so she grew up playing uh, the drums with her father who runs the joint, Uchiyama-san. And she also does, you know, she plays gigs in the tri-state area in the States. So she was back for the summer to visit her parents. She was there with her little daughter, who was, you know, running around the place with their dog. Very, very homey atmosphere. So we had a great chat with her. And she was... Um, she was so excited that we were doing the project and came to her, you know, to came to her parents' place. Unfortunately, we didn't get to meet the dad. He was out doing some errands and shopping that morning. But we did have a coffee with Michael and her mother and her daughter, three generations of jazz, <laughs> Kisa Ten uh, yeah, family yeah, yeah. staff. Um, and, you know, like you said, the building's so unique. It's, it's kind of sunken down. But when you're in there, the ceiling is very, very high. And there's a kind of like a loft space there as well, which you obviously went up to take a picture from um and so catching yeah. you know all the sofas and the bookshelves and whatnot just a very unique space very unusual you know because it has this uh the the ground floor is this uh made from breeze blocks you know and then obviously you have this beautiful kind of vaulted wooden roof and uh yeah you're right i did get up into that um attic what are those uh, things called again philip those you know those long things along the roof um Beams. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, Beams. Yes. Good. Yes. Be anyone Sorry. from Beams is listening, by the way, we're looking for a sponsor. Sorry, so, <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, just a very, very unique space. They had this uh, fantastic sort of paper mache um, mm. head, uh, <laughs> up, uh, sort of mask uh, head type thing for a festival up in the that roof space. Um, obviously, the, the instruments there, as you can see. And like you say, yeah, there's a, a way to look down then uh, onto the kind of main sofa area uh, where the amp is. Uh, and obviously then that poster that suddenly seemed to be appearing everywhere yes, Sonny Rollins yes. well, uh, dresses you, as a samurai. You can, see, you can see on there a little easier than in the other photo from yesterday's um, chat we had, you know, uh, that's his tour where he came down to Kyushu you know, to Miyazaki is another another prefecture in Kyushu. So obviously, um, obviously these posters were a hot commodity for that tour, as they should be, because they're wonderful. But yeah, Naima, look at the, look at the you know he's got his amp. There's a lot of CDs and records as well. And and did you do you remember like how many books were in the place that yeah. were just sort of there that people could kind of you know sit down and 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 browse through? And those weren't even all jazz books, like places like Milestone that we talked about that have like a jazz library of old magazines. It was just random books that he had put in so a very very homey kind of feel to naima and um when we were talking with michael i don't know if you remember this you might have been taking the pictures but she said that um that they did have a bit of a problem 
getting new customers. It seemed to be just the regulars who knew the joint. Um, but by doing live gigs, they could get people to come who, you know, maybe didn't know too much about jazz, but knew them in the neighborhood and, and wanted to come and check out and see, well, you know, what kind of music is this? Or, you know, oh, what is the Chiamasan yeah. doing? So a very warm, um, open place that I, 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 you know, we say this a lot, but really I was quite speechless when we walked in there because we had, we had no idea of what the place was and we've never seen one in this kind of like shape before yeah it was it's a stagger it was a staggering find um you know i'm not claiming that obviously that we we were the first people to discover it but certainly from our perspective and not having had it on the list initially it was definitely a, a very very good investment in terms of the time and making that detour Having said that, of course, uh, it did then sort of put a little bit more pressure uh, on the rest of the day. So, you know, we, yeah, we finished we up stayed at Naima. a while. You know, I think we stayed we about did, an yeah. hour uh, longer than we obviously would have planned and longer than we stayed in some other places just because it was so it was so great. And, and you know, we were obviously having a long chat in English, too. So we by the time we left, we would have been, what, two o'clock, I guess? Yeah, well, um, I've got um, sort of the outside there photographing it about. It's actually it was by this point it was four o'clock, if you can believe. So wow. really, I mean, we really were. I, I had imagined this all to have happened much earlier in the daytime, but clearly, mm. uh, it really didn't. So. Once we finished with uh, Oita, we headed up that coast. Uh, there's a kind of a, a peninsula that sticks out to the east. We, we went straight across that uh, and uh, headed for, again, the third groovy of the trip, <laughs> and by no means uh, the third groovy in all of Japan, uh, in a place called Nakatsu. And again, this was a really um, quite a unique space in the sense that it was um, a family home um, and also it bordered onto a school playground. So through the back windows of the cafe area, you could actually see this uh, kind of classic Japanese uh, junior high school baseball uh, type space uh, and and uh, the, the high fences to kind of keep the balls in and so on. And uh, again, once we arrived at this place, there was just a couple of old guys in there, uh, neighborhood uh, regulars uh, sitting having a chat and uh, I think the last thing they were expecting was for us to rock up. Oh, they were completely gobsmacked when we walked in. I, I remember they all went silent and, uh, you know, as soon as we spoke Japanese to them, they, they you know, had a smile and they were like, oh, wow, what are you, what are you guys doing here? Are you visiting someone? And, and I think by this point I was starting to get a bit, uh, bit cheeky, as you would say. And I just was like, yeah, we came to visit you. We drove all the way here to visit you. You know, that's why we're in Nakatsu City. And um, they just they just kind of couldn't believe it. You know, I think we didn't tell them too much about the project. You know, we just said that, oh, it was a hobby of ours, driving around. We're taking pictures. We may want to make a book, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's kind of hard to explain just in the first five minutes when you come in, when you get that reaction. But um, I remember being kind of knocked out by, the again, how big this house was. Um, I mean, this is easily three times to four times bigger than any house you're going to find around here in, in the Tokyo metro area. Yeah. Um, of course, that kind of <laughs> that weird like tennis court uh, that it opens out to. Um, but all of the all the decor in Groovy was great, especially, you know, that picture you got of, of the owner where that sort of uh, double base is up on the wall with, you know, obviously somebody took the time to put Groovy on there. 
<laughs> whether that's stenciled in or not, but it's it's gorgeous. And look at his t-shirt. I mean, do you think he has any idea of what that t-shirt means? I mean, clearly he bought that at some American sort of like thrift shop type, you know, the kind that's uh, in Shimogitazawa or something where they sell these. I just assumed that he was a plumber <laughs> in a previous existence, no? Uh, for, Are you telling me that t-shirt is, is he's wearing that unknowingly? Uh, of course. For, for, for our non-American uh, listeners, I mean, these are the kind of shirts you see all around the United States that, that small businesses will make. And for for a lot of complex reasons, um, they'll sell for like 50 bucks in Japan, in, in Japanese sort of hip hipster stores. Uh, but where this guy got one of those, I have no idea. I mean, he couldn't speak a word of English, you know. But we did have a really good chat about the jazz. He was very impressed that I knew the, the Cannibal Adderley record that he was playing. Um, I, I, I wonder if he thought that maybe because we were younger that we weren't like serious fans. Um, yeah. And I think, I think actually, you know, we found that a lot, probably haven't touched on it much during the podcast, but you know, we've, we've, we've covered the idea of, of, uh, being able to speak Japanese obviously, uh, definitely facilitates the, the project and, you know, it makes it a lot easier in some cases, particularly when it comes to asking to take pictures and so on and so forth, because you can really clarify what you're doing. But also I do think, you know, there's times that, uh, I feel like, you know, we've been tested ever so slightly. Uh, you know, they do throw out questions and ask you what kind of stuff that you're into. And for some of the owners definitely have that interest. You know, they want to know that you're actually interested in the, the jazz culture side of it as well. And not just obviously the Japanese angle and, um, we haven't come up to wanting, I don't think, at, at any point that I remember, but... No, no, not at all. But yeah, I mean, he there was definitely, I remember a little bit of chat with him and one of the old guys on the counter about like, yeah. oh, you guys know this record? You know, because they clearly bought it. Uh, when it came out, you know, in the early 70s. And and so, yeah, like you said, you kind of have to prove a little bit, prove prove your knowledge and, and uh, show that you love the music and then you get that respect. But um, this was a, another one that was a real surprise. I, I think we, we had had it on our original itinerary, but there wasn't anything online about this place that we could really find, like information, like when it was open or the guy's name or any reviews from the usual jazz bloggers. So another great surprise. And and do you remember like that, that the back street where it was on? And I mean, Nakatsu City is not a very large city on the coast of Kyushu, but this was particularly in a quiet neighborhood. I mean, there was, there was nobody on the street. It was just houses completely dead. And uh, another incidence of us kind of getting lost lost for a few minutes looking for it. Yeah, and I mean, the, the entranceway itself is just absolutely beautiful, you know, with the, the Noren curtain mm. out uh, and this kind of wooden uh, veranda. And then, of course, just off to the right as well, you know, those really old traditional uh, Japanese-style houses and, I mean, really intact roofs in, on all those buildings. So it's a very uh, unusual location for this place. And, you know, it took us just to con contextualize again the distance. Uh, you said previously, you know, about how mountainous some of the terrain is. And, you know, from Oita, again, it looks like a stone's throw on a map, but it was mm. actually, we drove for over an hour to get to Nakatsu. So each of these places, particularly as we reached the end of the trip, you know, it was there was definitely an element of gamble because... If if we went to one place or or went too far out of our way, uh, and you know we're, we're kind of disappointed, then you you know the chances are maybe it was going to have a knock on effect on the rest of the day. But um, as we worked our way up that coast, uh, it was great that we did stop in the Katsu and um, 
you know, by this stage, it was getting to about five o'clock in the evening um, and we still had a fair few places on the list. So where do we head next after Nakatsu? Well, we, we, we headed up, uh, continued along the coastal highway um, in between the water and the mountains. And we arrived in the, the, the top of Kyushu Island, uh, a very industrial city, which does not have always the best reputation um, for livability or beauty. And it's a, it's a city called Kitakyushu well-known for its port and for a lot of like you know automotive factories uh, foreign companies have factories there so definitely kind of not a tourist spot um, but you know as with all Japanese cities a couple of good jazz joints so we knew that we had to drive up there I wasn't um, I was pretty impressed with Kita Kyushu I didn't think it was as bad as some of the locals might say I mean in comparison to Fukuoka maybe it's it's a little gr- you know gray but you know it's a nice city on the water there so we we to the next cafe and this was yet again another another real surprise so we're back into the city now it's a place called Rokuyokan Gig Jazz in Rokuyokan Gig which is a little hard to <laughs> hard to translate it's a nightmare it's literally the worst name of any of the places we've been in terms of just trying to yeah. recount it I, I psyched myself out the other day just as I was going through the notes I was like no wait is that is that how you is that how you like write in, in, in the <laughs> yes. alphabet? No yeah. way. What? Very, yeah. very odd name. Um, and Philip, do you remember, uh, you know, in a trip full of surprises, in a trip full of unexpected delights and sometimes disappointment, but do you remember this, the stunning surprise when we walked in here? I do. I, I mean, I think it's the only time in the history so far of Tokyo Jazz Joints where there's been a welcoming party. So um, if, you, if you've been listening to previous episodes of this trip, and hopefully you have, in one of the other days, uh, we mentioned, of course, that when we went to Riverside, uh, the owner there was particularly active, despite perhaps what, what you would think just by looking at the photos of him, he was very active on social media. And he had spread the word around Kyushu with different owners. And of course, when uh, we arrived, in this place the owner was waiting for us he knew we were coming he didn't know when but he was expecting us to arrive and thank god that we actually went there because how disappointed would he would he have been oh he would have been so disappointed and he was so lovely man he was such an awesome guy um you can see from the from the photos i mean it's again it's a big place all of these places in kyushu are bigger than the average place in tokyo um it, it looks it's funny because the interior is a little bit slimmer similar to eight modern where we were uh the yeah. previous day in kurume city you know it's kind of got that mixture of tea salon with the with the chairs and the curtains and a lot of like weird antiques but tons of music as well he's got live gigs in there along the back wall you could see the piano was covered up when we visited and um as you said yeah he was he was waiting for us and you know obviously um not too many you know pairs of foreign guys with cameras and notebooks are are popping into these jazz joints so he knew right away when we walked in um he sat down to uh, to talk with us and you can you can tell from the picture you got which i love for a kajillion reasons um first (laughs) his you know tamura-san i think is his name but his nickname his nickname on the japanese jazz blogs is smoking mr smoking because uh, 
uh, he pretty much lives with a cigarette uh, between his fingers, which may explain why um, this uh, Rokuyo Khan was closed uh, earlier in the year in 2018 when we visited. He was closed for a couple months because he was in bad health. Obviously, uh, he got better. He's still on the smokes, as you can see. Uh, but look at the smile. Look at the warmth in his eyes. Look at the hat and T-shirt again for our American listeners. I mean, he's wearing a Nebraska Cornhuskers T-shirt. Um, that's a college football is not a popular sport in Japan. So I can only assume that he would have gotten this as uh, some sort of souvenir. Um, and he's wearing like a U.S. Navy hat. So clearly, he's got an American thing going on. But um, very unlikely he would know, you know what a Cornhusker was or even know where Nebraska was on a map. But I love that he was wearing the T-shirt. I loved his place. You could see that he, he didn't really make any effort to, you know, it, it was just open when we got there. And you could see a lot of still used dishes on the counter behind him, which I think would have been there from the previous day. Quite but, possibly, um, yeah. You know, just, just a fantastic spot. And um, good breaking news again. I looked it up online. They are still open. And he's still putting on some live gigs. Um, he was putting live gigs on up until uh, October. So I don't know wow. how the COVID situation is down in Kyushu. Um, people need to remember that Japan is, you know, it's it, the four main islands. And each island was sort of having their own, you know, uh, you know, situation in terms of the COVID pandemic. So, But he had gigs going on until very recently. Wow. Uh, the Navy hat as well is a nice touch. The U.S. Navy hat as well, uh, just just in case the message wasn't clear from the, the Nebraska Huskers T-shirt. Uh, this place is mad. I mean, it, from outside, it doesn't look like a jazz place at all. It, like you say, it's it's got that sort of uh, restauranty, bistroy feel with these kind of weird little street lamps, and then of course in huge letters, you've got this hard bop and funky jazz. <laughs> Um, in uh, in English, written on the side, and yeah, I mean, an absolute gent. Uh, really, he was really excited for us to be there. Very accommodating. You know, we had a bit of a chat. Um, he came outside, showed us the the exterior and stuff, uh, posed for this photograph, and um, another amazing place. And like you say as well, again, a lot of wood. Uh, and you're right. You know, definitely down there. Uh, not only in the beams on the roof, but also um, you know just uh, the fittings as well so much more wood and um, uh, it seems to be a feature of the places down there. Look as well, look at the covers on those chairs um, in the portrait of him. Oh, like they have not seen uh, they've not seen a laundrette for a long time, have no, they? The dry cleaners no. and, for a long and time. I think I have uh, I have a, a picture, and you know, as you've mentioned, we'll try to get all of their sort of outtake pictures up onto the social media feeds. Um, a picture of the payphone. Near the yeah, bathroom. I was I was just going to say the payphone. Yeah, the old payphone, the one you hold up and go. Yeah, uh, two, three, four. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if that. I mean, surely that couldn't work anymore but um yeah i mean it's a great spot all the little details in here i mean you know the piano there the tv up behind where the, the band would play so i'm assuming that you know sometimes he's showing some live dvds and he's of course he's got framed albums um i took a couple pictures of course that grant green album up on the top right 
Um, I, I loved everything about this joint, and um, it was it was again one of those ones that I think we added to the list uh, fairly, you know, maybe just a day or two before the trip. Um, and I found out since Philip, since then, I've talked to some some musicians here in the Tokyo uh, region, and they've said that oh, you know, he's been putting on live gigs for years, even before this cafe was taken over. He used to put them on somewhere else. So I think the guy is very well connected, and it kind of made more sense that he and the guy from Riverside would have been communicating. It surprised me that they were on Facebook. I mean, these dudes got to be in their 70s, right? But yeah. I, I guess they've adapted to the new the new way of communicating. So, I mean, you say, I mean, we've got to contextualize. You're, you're talking about Facebook as the new way of communicating, which just shows <laughs> where you fall. Where you fall on the social media spectrum. Uh, listen, uh, you but, know, you uh, know what anyway. I feel about Facebook, but we'll, we'll keep that for another podcast. Uh, James's, <laughs> James's editorial outtakes, volume three. Yeah. So, I mean, by this point, it's, you know, it's it's sort of early evening. Um, it's gone six o'clock. And I started, uh, and I think, on the beer at this place, which um, which probably should should be mentioned due to what's going to be coming up. Um, yeah. And we've you got, were on I your mean, fifth cup of coffee, at least. Yeah, I was, I was really, at this point, <laughs> I was really, I was really buzzing. But, you know, we had like, I think, four more places that we'd planned to go to. Because, of course, you'll remember from a previous episode that we uh, also wanted to return to Coltrane, Coltrane that we hadn't got mm. into uh, on a previous day. So the next place, you know, visually for me, um, what, what really sticks out in my mind is this kind of really warm red glow that it has. And if you've already seen the photographs online, you'll know that I'm talking about Jazz Street 52. But I would say in contrast with that warm glow of the place and the ambience and atmosphere of the joint itself, um, we got a very chilly uh, reception from the owner to start with, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Extremely chilly. Um, really not interested in talking. Um, I couldn't couldn't quite figure out why. You know, okay, you know, sometimes you just run into it. Sometimes the guys are a bit grumpy. They had a bad day, whatever. But After I I remember bit, actually, James. Mm -hmm. you, I think you put your head in first, and I, I as I remember it, you you said, um, you know, are you open? Obviously in Japanese, and he said, uh, yeah. And, you know, you kind of, at that point, you expect usually this kind of like, so so please come in, you know, welcome yes, or whatever. Yes. But actually, it was just very much, are you open? Yep. And so I remember you looking around at me and it was like, okay, so he is open. So, so, and then I think we said something like, so uh, are we okay to come in? <laughs> at which point he sort of grunted and, and begrudgingly um, invited us in. And then, like you say, it was, it was definitely, um, it was chilly, to say the least. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I think I, after a while, kind of picked up on it. And your, your portrait of him, which I, I really love, the lighting is is just great there in this place. It's very different to a lot of the places we've been. It's very much a bar. It's not a cafe at all. It's very yeah, much a bar, bar, jazz yeah. bar. But um, his name is Hayashi-san. Um, kind of picked up that he has had some serious health problems. And I think you can kind of capture that. You can kind of see that in the, in, in the portrait you took of him. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he is he's pushing in his late 70s, I believe. I think he was 78. Um, but he's definitely had a few a few health issues. But what happened was we so we sat down at the bar, we ordered a drink and I just thought, OK, we can't mess around with the usual sort of like slow method because we're on such a tight schedule. So I immediately just jumped in and said, uh, yeah, we flew down from Tokyo and uh, we go around taking pictures of jazz joints 
And, you know, we just came from, I believe I told him that we just came from uh, Rokyokan. And he kind of like opened his eyes like, oh, you you went there? And I said, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and just miraculously, I looked down and do you remember the photo that's on the bar is a photo of yep. him with Nakadaira-san from Doug in Shinjuku, which is the sort of ground zero of all jazz kisaten in Japan, where so many people who went to college in the Tokyo region would hang out, go to the gigs there, and Nakadaira-san became a, you know quite a well-known figure. And it turns out that Hayashi-san and Nakadaira-san are extremely close friends. So when we said that, of course, we've met with Nakadaira at Doug and have been there many times, his manner changed completely and he started to talk to us at length about his whole story. And it was amazing. And I thought, I, I can't remember if we mentioned uh, Sugawara-san from Basie as well, but uh, just for context, uh, for people who are not familiar, you know, these three were kind of peers um, back in the heyday in the in the late 60s of the of the jazz kisa in Tokyo. And the three of them actually met there and then eventually they moved back uh, to their own regions to open their own places. Nakadaira-san obviously stayed in Tokyo mm. and opened up in Shinjuku. But like you say, it was, it was like someone hit a switch because he went from this kind of slightly frosty and you know i mean again there's no reason why he should be anything else you know but you know there was no other customers there so there's no reason not to sort of chat to us or anything but once he realized that we'd been to these places and he saw that kind of um sincerity that of of the project and what we were actually up to he just totally transformed and, and just chatted away and so in some ways that portrait of him you know he looks a little um a little smaller than I remember and a little more somber, <laughs> but actually he, mm. he was chatting away and talking oh, yeah. to us the whole time that we were there. Oh yeah, uh, he com- it was- completely. And, and, you know, that, like you said, I mean, you know, so he, you know, being from down South in Kyushu, um, Sugawara-san from Basie being up North in Tohoku. And you could just imagine now, and those two guys are roughly the same age, and Nakadaira-san, who was about seven or eight years older, was kind of like, it's not quite mentor in English, but there's a phrase in Japanese called senpai, which sort of means like a mentor or a senior. And yeah. Nakadaira-san, who was the owner of the cafe, only maybe in his late 20s, um, but would have been, you know, the senior to these guys. And so when they left Tokyo and went back to their regional hometowns and opened jazz kisaten of their own, they still would look up to Nakadaira-san. And mm. he told me such a sweet thing. He said that he still calls him once a week to check on him because Nakadaira-san has also had some health issues. He's 87 this year. And I just I just thought it was just, it was just so sweet because, you know, how often can they get together? Maybe once a year in Tokyo. They've got their own, obviously, businesses to run um, and their own gigs to put on. But um, that was a story, again, we were not expecting this. Um, and it, it, it just kind of, it, it really added a sort of touching element to the whole thing, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And I have that picture of the of the three of them in, in, in their younger days together. Uh, and I'll make sure I post that on social media uh, when this episode goes up. Yeah. Uh, of course, you, you sneaked into one of the photographs there as well, as you probably noticed. I know you, you're a great fan at looking uh, for yourself. Well, uh, you know, some I, of kind these of, images. I kind of like that very sort of serious posture I have there where I'm engaged in, you know, hardcore Japanese conversation while you just get to, you know, flit around and take a few pictures. I mean, definitely and I'm sure I've got you've the noticed harder the job of the two of us, I, but... Uh, I'm oh, sure you've noticed. I'm sure you've noticed the beautiful framing of the uh, the, the symmetry between your cap peak uh, facing left and the cap peak of this picture facing right. Yes, I know you appreciate those kind surely of surely deliberate. Um, breaking news! Breaking news! 
Um, you might remember this, um, that he told us it was the 50th anniversary of the yeah. bar when we were there. But um, did you know that about uh, two months afterwards, they held a gigantic party in a hotel in Kitakyushu to celebrate Jazz Street 52. Now, that's unusual because think about it. This is a small jazz bar in a regional mid-sized city. Um, 50th anniversary is a big deal. And in Japan, uh, anniversaries are particularly big. You know, I mean, they often have a lot of events around them for anything. But not only did they have the party at the hotel, but there was a live gig. And the gig featured Yamashita Yosuke, Hino Terumasa, and Watanabe Kazumi. I mean, these are three of the absolute giants of Japanese jazz. So it kind of shows you how well connected Hayashi-san and like that network of jazz Kisa Ten owner is. Very, very interesting because, you know, we just came from a, a different place like, you know, Groovy Nakatsu, which is very local where those guys were clearly not hanging out with Japanese jazz stars, you know? Yeah. And then Hayashi-san has his 50th anniversary party, and he gets three of the most famous musicians in the country to play it in Kyushu. I mean, what would Amazing. you have given to go to that gig, you know? Wow. Know, right? It's one of the most beautiful places inside. I mean, you know, mm. the, the walls, as you can see, are covered with jazz memorabilia. I mean, there's huge posters there, signed uh, Bill Evans, of course, fairly, mm. fairly standard um, uh, image. And then, you know, you've got Art Blakey next to that. Um, and you know, it's just a gorgeous place. And then so, such a contrast to the exterior. Cause of course, if you look at that, it's this very gray, very, mm. uh, sort of characteristic, uh, corridor of, of lots of Japanese apartment buildings, uh, just the 52 to indicate it. And then you open the door to this beautiful brown, uh, and leather warm red space with all this jazz <laughs> and all this history. Yes. And it, it, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. So oh, we, it was fantastic. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, covered it, in it, posters too, of those gigs, you know, that, that he helped to put on, you can yeah. see some of them in the long shot you got of the room. And ordinarily, of course, we would have probably spent the rest of the evening there. But uh, <laughs> as I've said a few times now, we were definitely on a schedule. And the next place that we had planned uh, to head to was the curiously named L. Evans. Now, by this stage, James, it was about uh, eight o'clock and we were still in that Kita Kyushu area. I remember just um, a, a bit of a mad dash to there, uh, dropping the car off. And then do you remember walking down this empty uh, show? thing guy this shopping uh, covered shopping alleyway to get to l evans remember that well yes yes and you know what we didn't know at the time and that what i found out later by doing some research was why that was the neighborhood this was in on the north part of kitakyushu a neighborhood called wakamatsu which uh, let's just put it has seen better days um i mean this was a this was a tuesday night in the summer and it was it was as if the you know it was like a ghost town it was like the way places look now you know during a pandemic it was just it was insane and i remember thinking like i i don't think we're gonna make it i i actually said to you i think we should drop this place and just go yeah. and you were like no, no no we're so close like that would be ridiculous like let's just go even if it's just like 10 minutes just drop a few thousand yen you know for a drink and it was completely completely worth it um first of all i mean look at the look at that miles davis poster outside like where where did they get that? I Who know. commissioned that? You know, it's, it's enormous. It's, huge, it's absolutely yeah. huge on that street, right? Mm, mm, mm. And then you know, I, I, again, as we said before, I love myself a good awning, and this one was another great one, Jazz Cafe mm. L Evans. And then we walked in, and um, it, uh, 
really, really unique and cool place um, with uh, uh, those vintage round red speakers, which we've talked about on previous yeah. episodes from a couple different places like Meg and Milestone. And then the real surprise, all of the signed posters that they have hanging up in there. You know, oh, I thought you were going to say the the uh, the standard living room lamp in between the speakers. I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was going to be the surprise. No, that, that is not a surprise. Yes, I mean we've seen that many many times. <laughs> we've seen that. We've seen the Macintosh amps. I mean that's you know okay yeah the great old yeah but you look at that but that. look at that shrine though. I mean like before yeah. we get onto the posters, look at that. Look at the stuff around Incredible. the speakers. There's framed family pictures. What what looks like you've got the little HMV dog, you've got jazz musician uh, busts, you've got like a full on saxophone. Then there's like a double bass tucked behind that lamp. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, and what looks like Henry the Eighth for some reason. A little yeah, there's like, a, pl- like a framed. Is. Looks like a framed playing card. Oh no, no 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 no! I know what I think. Oh, I know no. what that is. I think is I know it what Nick that is. Yes yes. That's that's right, because that's the, the logo for Nika Whiskey. Yeah, yeah that makes yeah, sense yeah. then. Okay, otherwise it's it's completely random. But A couple um, of Eiffel Towers as well. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I missed the little guy playing guitar too on the right speaker. I, I yep, forgot yep. about him. I mean, yeah, just just uh, just a wonderful, Insane. wonderful hodgepodge there. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we didn't um, expect this because sometimes they don't necessarily advertise. But as you can see, there's, you know, there's a hi-hat symbol there set up and a microphone and a mixer. So they do have live gigs just at the back of this long rectangular room. Um you know, in the middle of a neighborhood that seemingly is completely depressed, you know, with no shops open, and they're still doing some live gigs in there. Now, I don't, my notes are not clear. Uh, I have some scribbles about a nice lady offered to cook for us, not the owner, no photo with a question mark. So I interpret that to mean that she was working there, but she was not the owner, and therefore she didn't want to get her picture taken. Is that what you remember? Yeah, uh, you were a few beers in, so I'm not surprised your notes had, had become scribbles <laughs> on day five. But I, yeah, it it, it got a bit complicated, if I remember, because I think there was no one else there. Mm. So she was surprised, first of all, I think, to have customers. Then I think she... She was watching trying, TV when we came in. Yeah, and, and trying to make us food or sort of like, do you want food? And then we, we said what we were doing. And obviously, again, mm. like you said, with, with 52, we were at this point where we didn't have time for a long preamble, you know. And we were actually, um, uh, as I've said, trying to get back to Coltrane, Coltrane, which we knew for a fact uh, closed at 11 p.m. Now, we had called the owner and told him that we'd be coming. So everything was building up towards this return visit to Coltrane, Coltrane, but we also had this 11 o'clock deadline and when we got to L Evans um, it was around uh, by this stage it was already um, about uh, half eight quarter to nine so we, we were on like two and a quarter hour sort of time limit at this stage so we did say to her I think then she called the owner to sort of say oh there's some guys here want to take pictures and it all got a bit lost in translation but anyway we had a drink um, we had some uh, I think I had some nuts actually which is could have well, it couldn't have been the first nuts of the trip, but again, anyway. not surprising in the least. Yes, <laughs> and um, and I managed to snap these photographs. So we were probably there for not much more than I'd say a, a half an hour, forty five oh, minutes. Oh, I, I don't. I don't even think it was that long. I think it was. I think it was twenty five minutes. Um, I remember I I killed a bottle of Heartland, Kieran Heartland beer. 
um, in a really short time, which caused a lot of consequences afterwards because, as you mentioned, we had to, you know, race out of there. I think we were really only in there for, I would say, 20, 25 minutes. No, I've got, I've got about 45 here, I think. So it was, it was, it really? was not, not an unrespectable amount of time. Okay, to be that's fair. not like, so bad. Yeah, I don't, I wonder why, why did it feel so short? Maybe because we rushed, I guess we ran from the car to there. And then when we came out, we ran back to the park. We definitely line. ran back to the car. I remember that very distinctly, running back to the car. That's right. Because, okay, so from to Kyushu to back to Fukuoka, you know, you get on the highway, it's not so bad, but we were not going to Fukuoka City. We were going to go to Tosu City, which is, you know, about 30 kilometers south, which is where it's a lot more than that. It's 90 kilometers. It's it's 90 kilometers from where we were. So actually from from the place that we're going to go next and and the final place uh, before uh, the end of the trip, uh, it it was a good hour and a quarter. So, Mm. you know, we had about two hours hours basically and we had an hour 15 um travel time to make sure that we got to Coltrane Coltrane and of course we had no guarantee I mean you know as we've said previously you know these opening hours sometimes are loose to say the least so the fact that it says that it closes at 11 p.m you know it's an elderly couple they have no customers in on a Tuesday night the chances are they're going to close whenever they're tired so we didn't even have a guarantee that would still be open so when we left Elevens we dashed back to the car now I had Found this place called Fudo, which could just be a trans could could have literally just meant food uh, if you were pronouncing it in in Japanese. It, it doesn't mean that, but um, we weren't sure and we knew nothing about this place, so it was a real risk. And I suppose we were we were kind of. Uh, we were really taking a gamble here because potentially if we if we took a side trip to Fudo on the way to Coltrane, Coltrane, we could have ended up missing Coltrane, definitely, Coltrane as definitely well. Definitely a real gamble. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it was risky. It was definitely risky. Didn't know anything about the place. Um, yeah, Fudo, the Chinese characters, wind and, and land or wind and soil. Um, and the sign that you you know you got a, you got a picture of the sign that leads up these like very dark wooden steps. It's very very simple, just as jazz blues. Didn't know what we were gonna find, and uh, we raced up there. And I don't know, you know, at this point, I mean, I guess we were getting a bit frazzled, but. Did we even know that it was a bar or did we think it was a live club? I, I, I have no idea what we were expecting, but we walked in and it was just lovely. It reminded me a lot of places like Pithecanthropus erectus uh, in Tokyo, you know, a kind of real old, smoky, dark, wooden jazz bar where they just play a lot of vinyl. No frills at all. And the guy was amazing. He was super, super cool. I I wrote it down because his name is quite rare in, in, in Japan, his family name. It's Taka Enoki which is not a name I'd even ever heard before. Really mellow dude. Mm. Um, Ordered a Guinness just to be polite because I didn't think it'd be nice to take the pictures and just run out without ordering something. So I ordered a Guinness. You immediately just jumped around to take the pics. And, you know, we we started chatting with him and he, he had a super mellow reaction when I told him about the project. He was just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good hobby. Sounds good. That yeah. was literally all that he said. And you can see from the picture you got, like that sort of mellowness coming through, you know? Yeah, I mean, this this place is probably the only place where I really feel, you know, slightly guilty. I mean, it's it's not the worst thing ever. But, you know, we're, we're very conscious that as we document this project uh, and this culture, you know, um, as we create this project and document this culture, to 
you do it justice. And, you know, my approach as a photographer, as I've mentioned in, in previous episodes, is very much to go in initially as a, as a jazz fan, as a fan of this culture and as a customer. And, you know, we always order, we always sit there, we have a drink, we get the vibe and, and you know, we get chatting and start a conversation. And then, you know, we approach the idea of taking pictures. But just purely out of necessity and, and, and probably a small degree of panic at this stage, you know, <laughs> we, we just um, kind of thought, well, look, there's no point in messing around here. We really don't have any time. So we did come straight in. Happily, there was no one there at the time. We we said, this is what we're doing. And, and like you say, you had a drink, which I distinctly remember you didn't even finish. Um, or I think you'd brought it with you, actually, because I remember you standing outside with a <laughs> bottle did. of Guinness. Um, I did. I brought it with me. I brought it with me, but you told me not to bring it in the car. So I just started drinking it before. That's right. You were, that's where store. the convenience store came in. I, yes. I had this image of you standing in front of a convenience store, necking a drink. That's what it was. So it was the well, drink. Well, also because Pudo. we were, I mean, we hadn't eaten for, I mean, yeah, at yeah. least 10 hours. And I think that we, we were like, okay, look, we've got an hour's drive at least. So we, you know, ran to the convenience store. I ran in to use the bathroom there, obviously. Bought a bunch of snacks, some onigiri, uh, some chips, whatever. I think I bought a banana and just jumped back into the car and raced down the road. Yeah, you're right. We got some snacks. Uh, we were in the car. And by this point, uh, well, it was basically 20 past nine. So uh, we had until 11 to get to Coltrane, Coltrane. Uh, and um, as I said, it's about an hour and 15 minutes drive. So we actually have to go through or, or certainly around the outskirts of Fukuoka City to get uh, south of it to Tosu. So within the confines of the law, obviously, um, I drove as... Uh, fast as I could and safely as I could. Also conscious, I suppose, of the fact that, you know, it had been a long five days. It had been a long fifth day. Uh, we hadn't eaten that much. Obviously, I had just been on the coffee, so my heart was probably racing, but I was pretty tired. Um, but amazingly, uh, and and I suppose one of the happiest uh, ways, uh, one of the happiest moments of the trip and certainly a fantastic way to finish on a high. Uh, and you'll probably know already if you've looked at the website and if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast that we did, of course, make it to Coltrane. Coltrane, we got there at uh, 10.40. So we basically <laughs> arrived with 20 minutes to spare. And amazingly, James, first of all, not only was it open, but the owner and his wife were actually sat in there waiting for us, weren't they? They were were waiting for us and they immediately just they were so sweet they immediately asked us like was the drive okay because we had told them that we were driving from the eastern part of Kyushu um I called them to tell them we'd be running late we'd already talked to them the day before <laughs> you know when we couldn't get yeah. in when they were closed so I think that they may have felt a, a little bit sort of almost you know um uh, sorry for us because we couldn't have come yesterday at the, you know, the earlier time. So they were there waiting for us. There was nobody else in the place. And um, I, I think, Philip, I, you know, it's funny because I looked back on my notes about Coltrane, Coltrane, and they weren't very comprehensive because, as you mentioned, we were, we were tired. We were frazzled. I'd been on some beers. Um, it had been a long five days. But I don't think anything really prepared me um, emotionally for what I would have felt walking in here because like you, um, I'm a gigantic John Coltrane fan and this place outdoes even the church of John Coltrane in San Francisco in terms of its devotion to him. Um, yeah. It is nothing less than a temple, a almost a museum 
but a living museum to John Coltrane and his music. There's Amen. nothing like it uh, anywhere else. Um, it's it's a church, it's a temple, and um, the the sheer number of things. I mean, we're not even just talking. We could you know we could spend half an hour talking about his record collection, and you've got a couple great photos of the sort of record booth room, that is the style that we've we found when once you leave Tokyo and there's more space, they have a little separate room. But uh, do you remember he he took out his uh, his notebook to show us all the albums that he actually has, including the bootlegs, and I mean it's running up into the several hundreds, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it, I mean, we, we've we've spent a lot of time on this podcast. I mean, probably the, the majority of the podcast is us just gushing about these places that we visited. But I think, you know, this place will always be above and beyond even that. I mean, not only the drama of arriving there, you know, with 20 minutes to spare, but to go into that place, um, you know, for those of you who haven't either seen the photos yet or or haven't been to it yourselves, you know, when you go in, um, if you turn left, there is a seating area. Um, there's a bar area behind which is uh, this beautifully laid out glass cabinets full of China, which has all been branded with Coltrane's image. And then further down towards the back of the uh the, the bar area is the sound system uh, and the speakers. And then off to the right is a purpose-built record room. And I mean, that is, just has the feel of a library. And of course, <laughs> yes. the owner went in there, mm. he chose some records um, and he uh, played it for us um, and then came and sat down and had a chat with you uh, as I wandered about and took some photos. And again, I was so conscious, you know, I was listening with one ear, but I'm also conscious that, you know, um, at some point they're going to close. I mean, these an elderly couple you know we've kept them waiting it's nearly 11 o'clock on a tuesday night mm. uh, and so i just didn't want to miss the opportunity to 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 photograph this place but even then you know he took the time to, to talk us through what they've done talk us through the history he showed us this absolutely stunning uh, handwritten menu of all the cool train albums which you can see on the website as well i mean he had sat down at some point and uh, created these kind of little uh, business cards uh, of of Coltrane's albums and then written out the set list on uh, the other side. And you can see uh, that in the images. It's also something that we've mentioned in some other places where a lot of cafes, of course, would have had like a music menu that you were able to make requests mm -hmm. from. And just look at that record collection. I mean... <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the attention to detail there, um, you know, the portrait that you got of them, um, you know, you can kind of see in there, you know, he he's a little bit older uh, than she is. Not unusual for a Japanese couple uh, that would have been married at some point in the 60s. He's probably about 10 years older. Um, he was, he seemed pretty Genki enough, um, but, you know, who knows how long he can run what is a fairly large place. And um, you just, you just kind of think like, this is such a, this is such a treasure that, uh, you know, somewhere, whether it's uh, going to be like Chigusa in Yokohama, where, you know, the fans and the customers got together to make a a little association to keep it running and to take it over or whether they've got children who can do that um this is you know something that that uh, for jazz fans just has to just has to keep be maintained um one quick one quick anecdote about you mentioned the 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 dishware all of which you can see 
in the portrait of the couple has John Coltrane's face on it. So do all the plates. So do all the ashtrays. Um, I asked them, I said, oh, can I, can I please buy, you know, a coffee cup? And I, I was stunned. I was sure that they would say yes, but they said, oh, you know, we're really sorry, but, you know, this we only have this left that the guy who made them can't make them anymore, so we can't sell any. And I got the feeling from the way she said it, it was sort of like, People always ask to buy them. I'm sure, you know? yeah. Um, but we do have sweatshirts and T-shirts. <laughs> so we said, do, yeah. Not a we problem. <laughs> um, bought a sweatshirt right away. Still wear it when it's cold up here in Tokyo. Um, very proud. And I think I might have mentioned this because I believe we, you know, we did talk about culture and culture a little bit on our introductory episode way back in episode one. But one day I was on the train here and a guy saw it and he started chatting with me because he knew the place. So, you know, hey, jazz heads unite, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, you could, we could talk for hours and I'm sure nobody wants to hear that. But, uh, you know, uh, we really could just talk and talk about this place. I mean, I don't know if you remember the the little, uh, and again, I'll post this on social media. It's not on the website, but there's a, a fantastic um, selection of uh sort of color-coded matchbooks as well, all featuring yes. Coltrane's face and branded yes. uh, jazz spot Coltrane, Coltrane. Uh, you know, there's also, I noticed uh, behind the portrait of them, um, which I hadn't spotted before, is uh, actually a, a band called the Blue Trains who seem to do public rehearsals uh, for people to come visit. I think it's every month uh, on the, fifth, the 15th and the 25th of each month. Uh, so obviously some sort of uh, Coltrane-inspired band that come in there uh, to do their rehearsals uh, and you can come in there, have a coffee uh, and listen to them play as well. And I suppose as well, I mean, it's worth just mentioning the outside of this place. I mean, you can see from the first photograph on the site uh, the kind of developments that are around them. It's fairly sparse. There's a few uh, individual houses here mm. and there. Right across the street from that, there's uh, quite a few large um, office block uh, apartment-type buildings. Well, no, and then in the middle of it, there's a stadium. There's a soccer Sorry? stadium. Soccer stadium. That's <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. There's a soccer stadium right across. That's why there's a train station right I mean, look at the height of it. Look at the height train. of the building. I oh, mean, it's, it's very it's, unusual to get a single yeah. a, a single building like that in Japan. Well, anyway, they, they that height. Up, they live upstairs. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely I mean, you know, look, look at the mural. Like, you know, did, did did he paint? Did they paint that? Did they hire someone to paint it? You know, who who knows? But I mean, there's there's simply nothing like Coltrane. Coltrane. Um, I I you know we often joke about you know picking uh, picking James's top ten jazz joints, which is a list of about thirty five at the moment. <laughs> you know, um, but number one is Coltrane. Coltrane. There's no doubt about it. It's it's the it's the most precious, most beautiful jazz spot uh, I've ever visited, and it's worth it if you are outside of Japan and you can come here at some point. It's worth flying to Fukuoka, which is a great city anyway, and Kyushu is a great region. But um, take a day to come visit Culture and Culture, and because there is nothing else like it. It's unmissable, absolutely unmissable. What was interesting, I suppose, like you say, it's definitely one of the most special places. And I suppose it's ironic because I think in some ways what makes it so special and so memorable apart from the place itself is the way that we got there and the nature of that day and mm. how we'd missed it the previous day. Uh, and then we f we finally got to it at the end of this incredibly sort of exciting and, oh, and exhausting completely. day. But in a way, it's a shame also because it meant uh, as a result, we weren't able to spend uh, that much 
much time. And true to form, you know, this owner, I have to say, you know, as polite uh, and, and as generous and welcoming as he was and the fact that they'd waited for us, you know, when it got to sort of quarter past 11 or so, there was very much a sense of, okay, well, you know, um, we're closing now and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is the end of our business hours and as politely as possible. And we were conscious, obviously, not to impose as well and mm-hmm. made sort of, you know, uh, profuse apologies. But I think about sort of 20 past, uh, half past 11, we were uh, we were in the car and heading back towards Fukuoka, weren't we? We were. We were heading back in a completely physically, um, emotionally, yep. um, just just overwhelmed. Um, I think I had ordered one of those those large bottles of uh, Japanese beer and Coltrane Coltrane and and did down that. So you can imagine I was getting a little bit sleepy. Um, you had had another coffee, um, and we we drive back into Fukuoka. I, I don't remember where we parked did we go to the hotel i don't remember what happened after that all i remember is that we were starving and it was kind of like that feeling of like wow we did it and all of a sudden the exhaustion but and the hunger came in and we found of you know just a typical sort of japanese izakaya but what turned out to be a little bit strange for two reasons one was that they had a gigantic japanese taiko drum hanging in there that they would bang on whenever you made an order which I found rather irritating. Um, and the other thing was that the uh, the owner was a local uh, from Kyushu. I could tell by his accent. But the staff were, there was a couple of Japanese people. The staff were mainly um, from Nepal. And not something you see very often um, in a Japanese izakaya. So that that kind of that memory really stuck out to me. But we sat down, we ordered a bunch of the usual sort of izakaya snacks: some sashimi, some edamame beans, uh, yakitori, grilled chicken. I think I had one last beer, and I, I believe you ordered some shochu uh, to sort of uh, take the edge off of the caffeine, right? Yeah, I mean, I just have um, a little video of us doing a kampai at quarter past 12. <laughs> so it was, it was gone midnight by this stage, absolutely exhausted, but totally and utterly fulfilled. Mm. Uh, and uh, what a way to finish uh, the trip. We did actually just park up near the hotel. I think it was in Izakaya, quite close to where we were staying. Yes, uh, yes. And boy, were we ready to, to hit the hay at the, at the yeah. end of that evening. But what a fantastic uh, way to finish up the day. And, you know... Uh, a whole day driving really but to take in seven places and not only the fact that it was seven places but actually seven incredible and like in their own way completely unmissable joints you know it, it couldn't have been a better way to finish up the five days oh i know i know I, and you know s- spread out along you know what is not an insignificantly small island i mean you know kyushu island you know a large a large part of japan and we traversed so much of it in just one day, uh, in addition to getting in an onsen visit. Pretty amazing. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess it is, you know, it's funny, like you said about Coltrane, Coltrane, um, that we didn't get the chance to visit it the day before when we would have had more time, maybe not been so tired. But it, it's certainly kind of fitting that it was the last spot, because how could you how could you move on after that? It was sort of the culmination of everything that we've been trying to do on, on this this crazy, you know, this crazy quest. Absolutely. 
And so, like, we really hope uh, to those of you who are listening, thanks for joining us on this five days in June uh, journey that we've been on. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed listening to it. We hope that you've felt in some small way that you've been on that trip with us. Uh, I can't believe there's anybody now listening to the podcast who doesn't know that all the photographs that accompany the project <laughs> are on tokyojazzjoints.com. But if you're one of those people, uh, you can't say that anymore. tokyojazzjoints.com. Also, you can follow us on all the social media channels um, at Tokyo Jazz Joints. Um, and uh, if you want to financially support the project, uh, you know, we still have a long way to go. We estimate probably between 60 and 70 joints still uh, to be visited and documented and added to the project. So if you're keen uh, to help out financially with the project uh, and get us over the line, uh, please get in touch with us uh, either on uh, the website, on uh, any social media platforms, or indeed just tokyojazzjoints at gmail.com. Equally, if you're interested in buying any prints from the project, those are all available for sale. They're all limited edition of 10 or 15, and they're all printed on archival quality paper. So you know that they'll probably last even longer than you. You can hand those down uh, to your children and your grandchildren and keep that jazz Kisa culture alive for many, many decades to come. James... Thank you for this trip. Thank you for uh, being uh, my passenger. Thank in you the for car. doing the driving, and you know, th- I mean, it was uh, it was quite an endeavor. Um, I w- I remember when you when you proposed it, I was just like, man, you know, I don't have a license, and you were like, no, no problem. I love driving, and I was like, okay. I, I'm. I'll handle the music. You know, not a problem. It was. Uh, it was. It was. It was quite the adventure. And and listen, man, you got to get back here as soon as you can. And we're going to continue the journey. We're going to do a little bit more in Kyushu. We're going to do a little bit down in Hiroshima and Okayama and uh, Shikoku. And uh, even go to the way cold far north. I've got some stories from a recent adventure that I did here by myself about that, which we'll get to on another episode. But um, there's still a lot more to check out, buddy. So, you know, as soon as you can. I'll be there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, as always, to Brian of Grooves Ahead for all the help that he gives us with the sound. Thanks to Louis Elastic for our theme music. Thanks to you for listening and supporting the podcast. Uh, it, it Your support and encouragement helps us keep going. We'll be back with a couple more episodes uh, before we draw a line under the podcast project for the meantime. So thanks again. James, you take it easy, uh, and we'll talk soon. Talk to you soon, my friend. Bye-bye. This podcast was produced and created by Philip Arneal and James Catchpole of the Tokyo Jazz Joints Project. Thanks to Brian of Grooves Ahead for audio assistance and also to Louis Elastic for our theme music.